electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. John, thank you. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the turbulent wheat for stocks. What might come next for your money? We debate that with our investment committee today. And joining me for the hour, Kerry Firestone is the CEO of Arias Asset Management. Degas Wright is the chief investment officer of Decatur Capital. Jim Labenthal is here. Steve Weiss, Anastasia Amoroso is the head of cross-asset thematic strategy for J.P. Morgan's private bank. I'll take you to the wall. Let's see where stocks are currently trading. We're still holding on to nice gains all across the board. And interest rates have slipped a little bit. The yield on the 10-year note down to 163. Uh, So that's a few basis points lower than it was earlier today. And that is certainly helping probably stocks overall, but certainly the NASDAQ trade. Steve Weiss, what after this week are you now watching more than anything else? Is it all still about rates? It's all still about rates, absolutely. And it's going to be the rate of change of rates. So I'm watching inflation. I'm watching, you know, the general economic news, more important than they've ever been. But I believe the market can ultimately withstand to 3% as long as we don't get there next week, get to 2.5% next week. I'm looking for 2% over the next month or two. I think we'll be fine. Uh, the market, you know, news flow is commoditized versus how it used to be. So you get it, you get it quickly, you digest it, maybe the market reacts, and then they move on. That's why I've had a series of V-shaped recovery. To me, the most important thing is going to be what the economy does. I think that's well on its way. Of course, you've also got to watch the tax plan and what that does, but that's going to be an odd lot. That's going to be a knee-jerk. I think we've already seen it. That was the action early in the week. So... The only thing that really worries me is, as I said, rates and hot inflation, because the market doesn't believe Powell has the same credibility that he had. The Fed Fed put is gone. You need to see a major move in rates to have a twist, which means for them to buy long dated, sell short dated treasuries. So that's what you got to watch. All right, Anastasia, I mean, it it seems the biggest question in the market right now is whether we're going to have a big correction in the market or not. So when you look at where we are, what do you see? Yeah, I think, Scott, that has been the question sort of since the beginning of the year. We're going to have a big correction. And the answer we got, we had a mini correction. But what I'm encouraged by is that when we look at the positioning of some of the hedge funds and some of the levered funds and CTAs, they have actually been reduced. So I think we had a clearing out in the squaring of positions in February and early March. So that's a constructive uh, setup there. What I'm watching, like Steve, as we go into Q2, is this momentum handoff between we believe growth is going to happen in Q2. We believe reopening is going to happen in Q2. But do we believe inflation is actually going to come? And could that potentially surprise the upside? So I think that's going to be a key conversation for the markets in Q2. We're likely going to see some core PC prints that are going to surprise to the upside, perhaps. And then on top of that, all this fiscal stimulus, the infrastructure package, Talk is going to heat up in Q2. 
So all of a sudden, I think what the momentum conversation is going to become is not so much about the reopening trade, but the reflation trade and how to position for that. Okay. So, Carrie, on the on the issue itself of where the market is and what is going to lie ahead, whether we're going to be facing a larger correction, Tom Lee argues no. Okay. And the reason he says that is because we've already had rolling corrections. And if you've paid attention to those, you've noticed that technology and growth corrected by 15% in February and March so far. Energy stocks are down 13% in the past two weeks. The Russell 2000 is down 10% in the past two weeks after big runs all the way along. So you're not going to get a larger one because, in a sense, you've already had corrections in a lot of the frothiest areas of the market. Is that how you see it? Well, he's making a good point about corrections that have been happening really since last September. And we have definitely felt ourselves here the technology correction. What I think Tom is saying is that GDP growth is going to be strong this year. If we're talking about 6% GDP growth, what do markets do when we have that kind of an economy? And in almost all cases, 2000 being the one exception, the S&P 500 has gone up that year particularly following a recession. So if we have strong GDP growth, we had a recession last year, chances are the market is going to go up. If it goes up, then there will be broad ranges of participants. It's very hard for the market to go up without technology, which is, you know, 40% of the market is technology, communication services, plus Amazon. It's hard for that whole market to go up without having them participate. And if you look at this little chart that I use sometimes, Vinny put together that shows the percent of S&P names that are ahead of the index year to date and then since the middle of February. The middle of February, which is when recently tech names started to fall, 71% of the entire S&P has been beating the market since mid-February. That's amazing. That is a very large number. It means that the big names, the big capitalization names, have not participated, the big tech names, communications. And it's been a very broad market. And today, if you look at who's ahead, materials, number one group, then technology, and then energy. Very strange bedfellows. Mm. And it may be that we're seeing a broader range of what investors are willing right now to look at and say, we think there is potential tech names that are down, some of the reopening names that have not been very strong, and then we're going to let some others slide for a while or plateau, as Tom said. All right. So, so Degas, what do I do, based on what Carrie just told us, very interesting information, what do I do with the fact that Bank of America, you know, they have the flow show, right? They're looking at, at big flows of money, institutional investors, et cetera. Their weekly flows, they had $46 billion into cash, okay? That's the largest since April of 2020. They had... The first tech outflow since September of 2020 and the largest financials outflow since September of 2020 as well. What, what do you think that says about where investors think stocks are going to work best? Yeah, Scott, that really says that what's, what's happening is that there is a rotation and the rotation is away from the very growthy, very expensive tech into those companies that have a valuation tilt. And what I mean by that, if you line up all the tech companies in a line, go from low value to high value, you can really see some opportunities now as you tilt towards the higher value, positive value companies. And so what this is really saying, there's a rotation occurring 
and the investors are starting to make that rotation into those companies that have a true valuation matrix that is positive. Mm. And I think that's what we're seeing in this market. And we've seen it. If you go back to October, we actually saw that the value companies or companies with a value tilt started to outperform growth. Okay. Which takes me to Farmer Jim, because it sounds to me, Jim, like Degas is talking exactly about the kind of rotation that you have made because you have bought Cisco, the tech company. Cisco, not the food company. Why'd you buy Cisco? The, well, the tech company, to Degas's point, that is a value stock, and you can't get around that. It's, it's almost an insult to say that, but um, it trades at a very decent multiple with a nice yield. And here's the thing. You've got enterprise spending picking up. That includes hardware, the servers and switches that Cisco makes. It includes software and security and, and WebEx, things like that. Um, I think the first quarter earnings report will be important not only for Cisco but for all of tech to show that there are fundamentals, at least behind the big guys, not only Cisco but Apple, uh, Facebook, Google, etc. In the meantime on Cisco, and I think this is important to our discussion right now, you look at the chart on Cisco, it's working right now. So I don't want to wait for the first quarter earnings report. I want to get in it now while the chart is so attractive. I think that applies to Apple and Qualcomm. I think you're supposed to get Get in those names now and not wait for the first quarter earnings season because their corrections have already worked their way through. It's time for them to start performing again. And that's what I think they will do. Yeah, how do you know that that let's let's just say Apple, you know, for example, stock rate yeah. stock went from 145 down to, to 120. Kramer and I were talking about it earlier this morning on Squawk on the Street. And his thinking was, you know, he said, OK, it's come down a lot, um, but it wasn't down enough. That, that was his view as of a, you know, a handful of days ago. Because he said, look, I thought I could get to 110. Yeah. And it didn't. But my question to you is, how do you know it still can't? Yeah. So you ask, how do I know? And I've got to be humble. As an investor, you have to show humility and say, I don't know. But I very strongly believe that it has come down enough. It's at about 26 times forward earnings, buying uh, back its stock, hand over fist. You've got phones selling. You've got services picking up. The fundamentals are there to support it. Now, where I may be wrong when I say I don't know, but where I may be wrong is maybe the first quarter earnings aren't what gives the catalyst the spark to the shares. But if it's not the first quarter earnings, it's going to be the second quarter earnings. I go back to Jimmy. Jimmy has said all along, don't trade the stock, own it. Under that context, which I completely agree with, if you've got this pullback here of more than a correction, I think it's time to start buying the stock, whether it performs in the next two months or six months. I, that, I, that I can work with. That's a variability that I think we all can work with. It's funny, you know, Weiss, you know, Cisco is like this legacy tech company that no one's talking about. We just we don't talk about it that often around earnings or there's a call on it. Of, co of course we do. It's Intel that grabs the headlines. Is that the one that's going to be the fastest turnaround of those value or legacy technology companies? What do you think about Cisco? You know, it's funny. I was doing work on Cisco uh, this week, and I almost pulled the trigger, but I just haven't done enough work on it. I think it makes sense here for the reasons that You should have just dialed 1-800-Farmer-Jim. He would have he given you all the work you need. <laughs> I, I know, I know. You know, uh, shame on me for trying to do my own due diligence, particularly when I have a guy like Jim that can do yeah, that. Yeah, that, did, that didn't seem um, but, to bother you in General Motors, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you, you got a good point there. Yeah. Um, I got a long memory. But don't, don't take Steve small mad. He's going to get mad at me. Yeah. 
seriously about Cisco, Steve. Give me, give you know, me, your, give me your quick thought on Cisco, then I want to talk to you about your own moves. You know, Cisco, I like. I may still buy it. I think it's an inexpensive stock and that it'll have its time in the sun. All right. You're, as I said, you, you made a move it's, uh, of your own. Uh, Edgewell Personal Care, EPC, mm-hmm. is a new stock you bought, new position. Why? Yeah, well, look, it, it's fitting with my theme. I like underfollowed stocks. This one's underfollowed. There's a big disparity between what the street thinks about this. You got Morgan Stanley who says they're going to earn $3 in perpetuity. He has a hold on it. I guarantee he'll have to take his earnings up. Goldman's out there at 360 in 22, which is uh, in, in fiscal uh, 22, 23 rather. Uh, so I've got a cheap stock right now, 270 this year, which ends in September, $3 next year. They make they are a consumer product company. You take a look at what Helen of Troy has done. They make Edge Shaving Cream, Wilkinson Blades, Schick uh, for women, personal hygiene products such as Carefree, Playtex. They've got grooming products. It's a great company, and they're taking costs out, and they return that capital to shareholders. So to me, it's a very low risk, and it's perfect. You're going back to the office, you're going to need to shave, like I may one day shave, and you're going to need to actually go back in grooming. And that's what they do. So it's a perfect go back to work play. Yeah, you and need, go see other people play. You need to shave, no doubt about that. I see that stuff growing on your chin. <laughs> well, it's market neutral, Scott. Yeah. Scott, I'm balancing what I'm losing on top with what I'm putting on my <laughs> yeah, chin. Good move. So good my move. It is distracting stress. enough. I wasn't focusing on the, the light shining off the top of your head. I was just focusing on the chin. All right, Carrie, <laughs> uh, with, with all due respect to Jim and to Weiss, the most interesting move today, I think, comes from your portfolio. You bought Peloton. I'm kind of surprised. Why? Ooh. Well, uh, Peloton, remember, was in the 160s, and we had been watching it from the time it was, you know, around 110. We'd done the work on it, and we just watched it go higher. It's now around 100, and that was our price target. So this is a real business. They have a billion dollars of sales per quarter. They have over one and a half million subscribers, most of them in the U.S. There were 200 million people who had gym memberships in 2019 in the U.S., Canada and Germany alone. And this is a company that's first in class. They got in a you know, big front start, but it doesn't seem as if anybody is very close on their heels. And we thought they can earn 350 perhaps in 2025. That's the number that that we've got out there. And so it's come down from mid-teens uh, times sales to seven times sales, and they're going to have earnings in the next year or two. And and there's our price. You know, we just decided this is where we would make a commitment to it. Right. And we, we think this is a good price for it. We think it's 50% upside at least. Wow. And, you know, it's, it's not the sort of name we would chase, but we really believed that this is where we would want to own Peloton. And we have price targets for many of these companies that we, st- you know, we think are great. They were just way too expensive. Well, so, okay. This, it's the this, way we bought Twilio. This one's come down from 171 was the 52-week high. The stock, we'll call it 100 bucks, just, just, just north of there. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about, like, you know, the, the growth rate that you expect and what you just talked about, even in a post-pandemic world, you, you have to be thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is not a company that's only going to do well because of a pandemic. They created a better product. They pre- it's a novel product, right? And we think it has a long runway, and they're going to expand around the world. People who have bought Pelotons, and there are, I'm sure there are people who are right 
on the desk right now who have a Peloton. And are they going to go back to the gym? Are they going to take the spinning class four times a week at the gym? I think not. They're going to keep it at home and they're going to tell their friends and their family and more people are going to own them. Really? And the treadmill is going to be successful and the mirror will be successful. And so I think that there's, you know, they're building a moat around themselves with great new products. And, and the subscription model is a great one. OK, so I, I take this to the rest of the committee. Hey, hey, Scott? Then. I, I, yeah, go ahead, Jim. I just I want to make a point here because I'm looking at Peloton and Zoom. How can you not when they're down as much as they are? I think both companies need to pivot right now. I don't think Peloton three years from now can expect to be just this subscription fitness cycle. And I don't think Zoom three years from now can afford to just be a video conferencer. So, you know, with both of these companies, they still have high share prices. They may need to look for acquisitions, but they need to pivot in some way or else they're going to turn into a GoPro, a once hot stock that now is a one trick pony. Oh, ouch. OK, Carrie, you want to respond? But they're already doing that. Yeah, well, they're already doing that. I mean, uh, today there was an article about Peloton is going to go into fitness apparel. And, you, you know, you get a sense that that was coming anyway. And they'll partner with Adidas or Nike or, you know, other types of apparel companies in the sports world. And maybe they'll go into some sort of broadcasting. Maybe there will be Peloton-based media products. Um, I, I think it's a platform from which they can expand. And, and they've made very smart acquisitions and moves so far. And, uh, you know, we believe that that will be true in the future. All of these companies, if you're a growth investor, you have to think about at what price you're willing to, to pay for them. You know, Zoom is one of them, Teladoc, and I mean, Amwell, you saw that. I mean, it's a small name, but yeah. we had a price target. If you look at Trade Desk or MongoDB, these are all great companies, but at the prices, they were ridiculous. And, you know, we've talked about that on, on the show many times at 30 times sales. You know, you, you got to go, whoa, that's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, but with this one, we had a price, and there we are. In some cases, even more in terms of the, the, the time sales. I'm just looking at some of these stocks. For example, you know, Teladoc is 42% off of its all-time high. Uh, I don't have Peloton on my on my list there, but obviously it's down from 171 seven, to, to 104. Seven times, so, seven times sales. Yeah, you, no, your point's well taken. And, and look, more power to you. you. You had your price target. You make the case. You buy the stock. And then, you know, you see what happens from there. Another stock you bought, Carrie, Integer <laughs> Holdings, ITGR. Right. So Integer, it's an interesting small cap name. They're in the medical device area. They um, are now an outsourcer. So companies like Medtronic, Abbott, you know, potentially Boston Scientific would partner with Integer to make a device. And so they've got ongoing contracts with preclinical device manufacturers that they produce the prototype and then go into the clinic with them. And we think that they can grow their business a few percentage points above what the industry uh, is, is moving at. So let's say it's, you know, 8 to 12 percent a year on the top line. They've had margin improvements over the last few years. You know, we think the stock, which is down somewhat, will continue to have mid-teen uh, earnings growth. We think it's very interesting right here. Okay. You know, the, the multiple is not expensive. Yeah. Oh, sorry, forgive it's me. Good. Let, let's try and go through these others a, a little quicker because I got to move along. But I want to get I want these are important. Okay, American sure. Well, AMWL. So, yeah, Amwell, it's in the telehealth business. It's one of the players that we think will be big. Three billion market cap with a, uh, a billion of cash. And we think that's a huge addressable market. The stock's down from, you know, 40 to 18. 
Webtech, Wabtech. Yeah, Webtech. So that that's uh, originally from Westinghouse. It's a rail car, um, you know, capital goods company. We think an infrastructure play will be great for the railroads, and they'll start to get fuller car loads, better pricing. I'm sure Jim knows this very well. We've watched this stock, and it hasn't really moved with the industrials, so we like it right here. All right, so it's nice Web to look tech. at the stocks, the new buys, the, you know, the viewers hear about them, stocks go up. It's nice to look at the charts. You, you have sold some stocks, though. I, I do want to get to, because there's two sides to the story always, right? Vontier, VNT, can you yeah. tell me why you sold that? Yes, Vontier was a spin-out of Fortiv. Fortiv was a spin-out from Danaher, so we like Fortiv. Uh, Vontier, it's been an okay stock. It's in the fueling business for vehicles, and we just don't think it has the growth uh, for it. And, you know, Wabtec was sort of an exchange for that in the industrial side. Boston Scientific, you sold also. Yeah. Yeah, so we've owned Boston for years. We have a very, very strong gain in it. We think that the company has had some problems internally. They've had some lawsuits. They haven't been able to get new products out as quickly as they would like. The earnings growth has been disappointing. And it's just, you know, we think that we have better opportunities. Amwell's a better opportunity. And Integer are both healthcare. You know, some of the stocks that, that you mentioned, and you did talk about small caps, and they're, they're within that space. You know, Anastasia, I've been looking at the Russell pr pretty closely. Um, what do you make of the way that the small caps have traded uh, of late and what that tells you about where you think the stock market is going to go? Yeah, I mean, I think the market has a lot to like about small caps just between the composition of them, which is somewhat skewed towards financials and some of the smaller banks. The market and ourselves do like that space quite a bit. As I mentioned in the beginning, we're now looking not so much for reopening trades, but we're looking for reflation trades. In an environment where you're going to have higher real rates potentially and higher inflation break-evens, you have to look at sectors that are positively correlated for that. With that, it is small caps, it is banks, and it is energy. So there's quite a bit uh, to like there. And, you know, when you look at the broader markets, you know, I mentioned that maybe there hasn't been that much of a correction for the broader markets, but there has been meaningful pullbacks in some of the software tech as well as some of the clean energy tech. So, you know, we talk about things that we want to buy versus things that we want to sell. So despite the pullback that we had in some of the software names, I still may want to lighten up on some of those positions because they're still trading at 10-year Kager's uh, growth rates that are pretty stretched for some of those shares. So if you've had some winners there, I would take a little bit of gains there. But on the flip side, you look at clean energy and you look at electric vehicles and those shares are trading down 25 or 30 percent. But here you do actually have a catalyst that is just on the horizon. And it is Biden's Build Back Better plan. Uh, it is the uh, April 22nd where we may see some more action on climate change. It is a fuel emission standards that will likely be tightened uh, by July. So I see a lot of positive news flow for the electric vehicle and clean energy space. So I'm definitely a buyer on the dip here of some of the solar names, some of the battery names as well. You know, you mentioned the, the financials and, and how, I mean, they really are levered to where interest rates go. And, you know, okay, so they have a great run, Degas. And then, you know, there's that note from Dwyer. I, I keep bringing it up because, you know, there was, there was that day that the financial stocks started to have a slide on his belief that you've had interest rates topping, at least in the near term, which they did. So they moved up a little bit of late, but yet they've dipped down lower. You have the news from the Fed about the dividends and the buybacks coming in June. I'm looking at some of the stocks like J.P. Morgan. They're back up today. You know, 
52-week high on that, 162. It's at 153 right now. Degas, what about the financials right here and right now? Well, I think the financials actually provide an opportunity, particularly if you look at the financials that have a dividend yield, uh, that issue dividends, because this is going to be favorable for them in the short term because ultimately, as they can get greater returns on yield, that's going to help their bottom line. So this is opportunity to get into those companies that uh, are paying those dividends, positive dividends. Weiss, you say you love the financials and you own B of A and, and Goldman and you, and you own the XLF too, but what happens if rates don't, don't continue to go up? Do you love them as much? Well, it, to me, it's just a matter of timing. Rates will go up, the Fed will unwind, and the market will lead it there. So you need that steepening yield curve much more so than level of rates, and you're going to get it. It's inevitable with what my expectations are for the economy. Jim, City, Goldman, and Visa are your holdings. Yeah, I, I don't think you need interest rates going up much more. So maybe they do, but I don't think that's what the story is. I think the Fed is giving one heck of a signal about how healthy the banking system is. And what that means is that the big loan losses that they took second and third quarter of last year, they've already started to reverse those. I think they're going to continue to reverse them. And they're just going to make money from the volume of business picking up as the economy expands. So Tony Dwyer, good friend of the show, respect him a lot. I think the pullback is not on Tony. I think it's just consolidating really massive gains. I mean, Goldman was up over 100 uh, percent, you know, in about six months. City about 80 percent. Well, that's part they of the reason why he made the call. Gains. He, that's part of the reason why he made the call. I'm not necessarily suggesting that Tony was the reason, the direct reason for the slide. But his thesis makes perfect sense. Right. Stocks have run a lot. Those stocks have run a lot because interest rates had moved a lot in a short period of time. That's going to top out and thus the most direct catalyst to take the banks on their next leg higher diminishes. Yeah, so I, the, look, I want to make it clear. You don't need interest rates going higher from here. The economy expanding helps the banks. This is just a consolidation. I don't care whether it's Tony or interest rates. You should be owning these banks right now. I can't make it any clearer. Oh, well, no, you've made it very clear, and we appreciate that. Anastasia, <laughs> we appreciate you being here as well. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much, Stacey. All right, our thanks to Anastasia Amoroso. Up next, Micron shares are up 90% in a year, and earnings are out next week. We'll give you that trade straight ahead. Plus, Kelvin Beecham is going to join the committee, NFL player, philanthropist, investor, fan of the half, and we're a fan of his. We'll talk to him in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The White House says Johnson & Johnson is set to deliver 11 million doses next week of its one-shot COVID vaccine that should get them to their 20 million goal for the month. There had been doubts about that target due to production problems as manufacturing was ramped up. But at that same briefing, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said that she's deeply concerned that new cases and hospitalizations are edging higher 
and sees what she calls a real potential for the epidemic curve to soar again. She's urging the country to take this moment seriously. And her predecessor at the CDC, Robert Redfield, telling CNN that it is his opinion that the novel coronavirus probably originated in a Wuhan laboratory and escaped, possibly starting to spread in that city as early as September 2019. And a gun store owner outside Denver says that the suspect in the Colorado supermarket shooting did pass a background check when he purchased that gun six days before the attack. Boulder's police chief confirms that the gun allegedly used by the shooter was bought legally. Police, however, still do not have a motive. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Okay. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. Well, Micron is set to report earnings next week on Wednesday. Steve Weiss, you own it, I think, still, correct? That is correct, Scott. Uh, look, they, they pretty much pre-announced a little while ago. It's been very predictable. You've seen the tightening. Everybody sees the tightening in the chip shortage. Um, their chips are a little different. They're not the typical semi-chips you think of. They're more memory. But the fundamentals are excellent as their total addressable market continues to grow. You only have three providers down from loads of them before so they can keep pricing in a good way. So, look, I like it. I'm not selling it. Um, I think it goes higher. It's it's been cut back a little bit, but you'll see it at par, I believe, 100. You know, at, at the same time, you sold Qualcomm. And now we, yeah. you know, at, at, we have to have another debate between you and Farmer Jim. You know, at, at risk of this becoming a vaudeville act, um, we're just going to have to go there anyway. You sold Qualcomm. I want you to tell me why. And then I want Jim to tell you why you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually don't think Jim's going to tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, I sold Qualcomm because I wanted to concentrate my bets. So as I went through the portfolio and how it was acting, Qualcomm was acting the same as Corvo, was acting the same as Skyworks, and I just wanted to put more of my eggs in a couple of baskets. So on that front, while I still have TSM, which I love, and I love it even more this week after the Intel news, Skyworks and Corvo are much cheaper stocks and they're going to do much better. Qualcomm had an issue last quarter with supply constraints. They were hurt by the tightage, by the, by the tight aspects in the semi-market as well, whereas Skyworks has their own fabs, and most of them are in Texas. And Corvo already announced this week, and the market ignored, ignored it, that they're shipping more RF trips, chips than they had planned. So both selling at huge discounts to Qualcomm and the market, I think, are a better place to be. So I actually added to Corvo. Okay. Farmer Jim? Yeah, I'm surprised, Steve, that you sold Qualcomm. You did. I mean, I'm looking at it, I'm saying down 20% from the high. The issue with the last quarter was basically the stock got ahead of itself. I mean, there's shortages all over the chip industry. I don't think it affects Qualcomm more than the rest. But the thesis on Qualcomm is it's the top of the pack. It's got higher margins because of what it gets on its intellectual property. The valuation right now is ridiculously cheap, 16 times forward earnings, peg ratio below one. And usually that's an insult. Usually that's a a sign that something's wrong. Qualcomm is high quality right now, growing its earnings. The fundamentals just couldn't be better. So I think we're in a consolidation phase. I would have expected my buddy Steve to have diamond hands on this one. (laughs) Actually, I mean, he's been stronger about it than I have. So I'm just, I'm surprised, but you know what? I'll bet Steve's going to be back in it because he's, he's been the ax on this more than me. We'll see. We will see what happens. I know Steve will tell us if and when that happens. Be quick, Weiss. Be very quick. Make it count. 
Yeah, I, I would just say, look, I want to, bu- I want to buy more industrial. I want to buy more cyclical. Something had to go. You can't own them all. Yeah. I get the same pack with cheaper, faster-growing stocks. Okay. Up next, NFL player and philanthropist Kelvin Beecham. He joins the committee. Stay with us. We're back in just two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. Trying to bridge the digital divide is how our next guest focuses his time. That's when he's not blocking some of the fiercest pass rushers in the NFL. Kelvin Beecham is an offensive lineman for the Arizona Cardinals. He joins us now. It's good to see you. Good to see you as well. It's been a while. Yes, it has. Congrats on your new contract as well. I think you're your fifth in the NFL. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's been a been a long journey and excited to continue it with the Cardinals. Yeah, we're excited to see it as well. We'll talk about some of what you what you're doing with some of that money. But I do want to talk about the causes that you're involved with first and foremost, because you're involved in many. Will you tell me about Chiefs for Change? Because we've spent a lot of time on this network talking about the digital divide, especially during the pandemic. You know, it was heightened during the pandemic. Um, and Chiefs for Change has been one of those uh, organizations uh, on the ground. Um, being able to provide um, the resources that young people need to be able to succeed in this uh, in this environment. World Vision Global 6K for Water, that's coming up in just a couple of months, too. And you've been thinking a lot about, about that issue in and of itself. You know, it's a big issue. Uh, I had the chance to go to Honduras a couple of years ago. I was supposed to go to, to Uganda um, this past year, but, you know, COVID, um, you know, canceled that particular trip. I'm passionate about water on a global stage and understanding that one in 10 people uh, globally don't have access to, to clean water and about 3 billion people on the planet um, don't have access to the, the proper sanitation um, and hygiene um, resources that they need to, to just make sure that they're, they're clean. And considering that we're in this, you know, this pandemic still, uh, making sure that people have the, the proper um, tools to be successful just with some of the basic human rights and, and, and human needs that they have to just be able to survive. It's Women's History Month, of course. We've been focusing here as well and, and highlighting some of our contributors uh, on their stories and, and how they've gotten to where, where they've gotten to. You've spoken a lot about empowering and educating women, especially in poor countries. Without question. Um, you know, the thing is, is, you know, having daughters, uh, having a wife, you understand that um, women need a voice. And when you go to some of these third world countries, uh, they need a voice as well. 
Um, and again, you know, working with World Vision, being able to go and see things in Honduras and, and how they've been able to empower women to be able to start their own companies uh, and be entrepreneurs is something that um, is exciting and something that I'm all about supporting. Yeah, it's, it's clear you're a proud girl, Dad, uh, from, from seeing your, uh, your, your Twitter feed. Uh, let's talk about investing if we could. Um, you know, that's what we talk about on this show every day, trading some too, which, you know, Damian Woody was, was on with us not all that long ago, a, a, a fellow offensive lineman, albeit no longer playing. Uh, and he was telling us that he trades on, on Robin Hood a bit, and I've come to find that you do as well. You know, it's simple. You know, uh, you know, I have my, my, my financial advisor that, that handles the, the bulk of the wealth, but I have a little pocket of cash that I get to play with on on Robin Hood. So um, have dabbled a little bit, you know, bought Roblox when it came out, bought, uh, bought Unity software during the season when it came out. I'm a huge believer of the cloud, um, uh, uh, EFT. Um, I've been following what Bessemer has been doing with um, their cloud report and, and, and just a huge believer in the cloud. And then, man, I'm, a, I'm an outdoorsman. Um, so have been following uh, Polaris and actually have some Polaris stock as well as some Callaway stock. Picked up golfing recently. So uh, I've been following a couple of those things, understanding that people are starting to get back outside and, and, and have been getting outside and doing more outside. Were you, you know, caught up in the whole GameStop thing when it was happening, the mania? Were you following it because you're a trader on, on, on Robinhood? And were you talking to other guys in the NFL who now are trading stocks more than they maybe ever have before just because it literally became a thing to do during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, I got in on GameStop pretty early. Uh, I got in back in 2018 when it was about $13 a share. Um, wow. And when it got to uh, uh, $380, I got out. So um, there are a number of guys in the National Football League that have been trading for some time. Um, I think, you know, that, that squeeze uh, brought more people to kind of understanding what was going on. Um, but, you know, I would say that it's, it's something that people talk about, you know, uh, in the locker room from time to time. And it's something that guys are starting to see um, that there is a, an opportunity to have some wealth creation within the market. Interesting. I, I've got, you know, my what I call my investment committee uh, alongside me today. I, wa- I want to bring Steve Weiss in. Steve, you know, he, he says, uh, Kelvin does, he loves cloud companies. I, I don't think you own necessarily the ones that he does. Um, you know, DigitalOcean, which is cloud infrastructure. He mentioned the Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing ETF. That's WCLD. Uh, what do you think about the play in the cloud right now, Steve, given a lot of those stocks ran up an awful lot and cloud is one of those catchwords that we have seen drive stocks higher? What can you tell Kelvin now about those stocks? Well, I think you have to look at it on a stock by stock basis. So there are some that are just untouchable because of egregious valuations. I'm actually involved in the cloud, not directly through the cloud stocks, but through the infrastructure that they need to power the cloud, such as I mentioned, the Corvos, the Microns, and the Skyworks. So I agree. I think cloud, even though it's been with us for, it seems, forever, that's not the case. And I think you're still in the middle er, middle innings of what is just going to continue to work. Now there's the edge cloud. So while I've got the cloud, they're bringing the computing power closer to you, which means they'll need more cloud space as well. So it's just going to keep going and going. And 5G, which I would suggest that you look at, is going to drive it all. There you're in year one of a 10-year cycle that's going to be something you've never seen before in your entire lifetime or mine 
And I may be a little older than you. I'm not sure. Yeah. And, and Kelby, we you look should know. similar age. Steve, Steve Weiss is one of the only people you ever find. He actually claims to be a Jets and a Giants fan. And after this, he'll probably tell you that he's an Arizona Cardinal fan, too. That's just sort of how he rolls. But I also see that you invest a lot on the private side, which I found pretty interesting. Uh, a company called Nightfall and Flexport. How do you get involved with that? You know, uh, you get out to San Francisco and you start spending time with people that are much smarter than you are and you happen to, to stumble along things. Um, and that was kind of how, you know, I stumbled on to, to, to Flexport, actually met the founder a couple of years ago um, out at CES. And, you know, we've become friends over the time. Um, and then same with, with Nightfall, um, you know, had the ability to, to meet the founders pretty early on in their journey and excited to see them continue to grow. It's fun to talk to you about investing. We'll follow you on the field this year as well. and We'll have you back sometime soon. I appreciate your time today. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Kelvin Beecham joining us there. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Ask Halftime is next. Send in your questions by video. We'll Anytime. play them on Thanks the air. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back after this. We'll do, no doubt. All right, let's do it. Q&A time. Jim Labenthal, you're first. Well, I have a question for Farmer Jim. I bought ORBC a while back, and it seems to be going sideways lately. Is now a good time to add to the position? That's from Big Apple Trader. Yeah. So Orbcom is the name. What they do is they track assets. It's Internet of Things. They track things like ships going through the Suez Canal. They track truck trailers to make sure if they're shipping flowers or food or vaccines that the temperature is constant at the level it needs to be. That's important stuff that's going to continue to grow over the coming years. So this is one I'm going to hold for a few years. And a pullback, it's gone from about $9 a share to $7.25 in the last couple of months. That's an opportunity to add on the dips, and I've been doing that. I suggest you do so as well. I, I, I recommend you at least hold. Don't sell the shares here. Okay, well, okay, look at that move right there. Okay, a question now from Majed for Steve. Are you holding on to Vuzix? You've been talking about that, uh, Vuzi. You've been talking about it lately. Yeah, I actually doubled my position this morning at higher prices, my man. Look. They priced a 4.2 million share secondary last night in probably one of the worst jobs I've ever seen an investment banking firm do. They priced it way too big a discount, giving the impression something's wrong here. The fundamentals are tremendous. They had tremendous stock price action. And you can see how poorly they placed it because of the volume, which is more than two times the average daily volume, and we're halfway through the day. So this is when you buy. This is an opportunity, and that's why I doubled my position in it. And it was already a core position. Okay, Degas to you from John in Illinois. What's the better fundamental buy right now, Semex or Vulcan Materials? Well, I own uh, Volcan Materials, and so from a size perspective, Volcan is $21 billion compared to C-Max being about $10 billion. So on a size, I like Volcan. As you look at the valuations, valuations are very similar, but when you really start looking at the profitability, and we gonna, we'll uh, measure profitability by cash flow to return on invested capital, Volcan Materials by hands down beats C-Max. So I would recommend Volcan Materials. Okay, thank you for that. Kerry, I turn to you from Samuel in Mississippi. Lidos, L-D-O-S, buy, hold, Lidos. Yeah, Lidos we think is a buy. It sells for 14 and a half times earnings. It's a consulting firm that does a big government contracting business. And if you think about new administrations, new jobs, new contracts, and there have been very few in healthcare 
unrelated to COVID. And Lidos is number one in that field in many non-COVID kind of healthcare sectors. And we think they'll have a big pickup in business, attractive right here. Okay, China stocks are getting hit hard this week. We've got that trade coming up for you today. Several are on the move. There's the ADR index. It's down almost 9% on the week. We're back right after this. been a tough week for some of the widely followed large cap China stocks, the CNBC China ADR index. It's pacing for its worst week in a month. And within that, Alibaba's down nearly 7 percent, Baidu falling more than 20 percent this week. Carrie, you own Alibaba. Um, you know, what do you think's going on? Kramer and I were talking about this earlier this morning. Yeah, well, there are a few things. Uh, one is we've had problems with uh, China relationships you know, over the last couple of months with the Biden administration, it's not clear how well things are going. You know, we suspect that this will smooth out. With Bob in particular, you had the problem with Ant Financial, the huge IPO, of which Baba owns almost a third, more than a third. And you had Jack Ma disappearing, the CEO, charismatic guy. Well, you know, now he's back. We have no problem without the companies being run. It sells for 16 times forward earnings. It One in every two Chinese consumers uses the platform. They are outpacing the growth of e-commerce in China. And, you know, we think it's attractive here. But, yeah, I mean, it has had a terrible run today. Interestingly, the stock is up. And so it could be plateauing right here and ready to make a move. It is a volatile. It's a volatile stock. Yeah, no, I hear you. Thank you for that. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do final trades. Okay, we're back. Guys, before we go, I want to hit this Nike call today. Uh, It's been one of the stocks of the week, uh, clearly. With the slide following earnings, you had the China news yesterday weighing on shares even more. Well, Jimmy Baird has come out today and they've upgraded Nike to an outperform they basically say all of this stuff is, is temporary. They go 150 is what they maintain on the price target. You've maintained that the stock is simply too expensive for you. I'm wondering just what you think about what's happened this week and now this defense of this name. Yeah. High quality company. I think they're eventually going to be right. But what I really believe is the next probably four or five months, this is sideways. I don't think it goes down further from here. But this is just if you followed Nike for over the years, you know, it goes through periods of consolidation mm-hmm. and they can be long, especially after the run it's had. Give me a final trade if you would, Farmer Jim. Yeah, you know, Cleveland Cliffs um, hit its 52-week high a couple of months ago. It's been consolidating. I know I've used that word a lot, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it wants to break out to 1750. 25 is my stock is my target on it. All right, good stuff, Degas. What you got for me? Yeah, Corsite, a data center real estate investment trust with a four percent dividend yield. Well, okay, Kerry. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Mm-hmm. We've got more miles being driven post-COVID. It's a market multiple, and we okay. have more parts for cars with all okay. the electric vehicles okay. and hybrids out there. Okay. Have a good weekend. Steve Weiss, quick name. Fusey. Ah, guys, thanks. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.